Well, let's turn in our Bibles this morning to Revelation chapter 18. Revelation chapter 18. Let's hear the Word of God. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. For her sins have heaped high as the heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others, and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed. As she glorified herself, And lived in luxury, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning, since in her heart, she says, I sit as a queen, I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. For this very reason, her plagues will come in a single day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire, for mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. And the kings of the earth committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her, will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. They will stand far off in fear of her torment and say, Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city, Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her, since no one buys their cargo anymore, cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots and slaves, that is, human souls." The fruit of which your soul longed for has gone from you, and all your delicacies and your splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. The merchants of these wares, who gained wealth from her, will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud. Alas, alas! For the great city that was clothed in fine linen, in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels, and with pearls. For in a single hour, all this wealth has been laid waste. And all the shipmasters and seafaring men, sailors, and all whose trade is in the sea, stood far off and cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning, What city was like this great city? They threw dust on their heads as they wept and mourned, crying out, Alas, 
Alas for the great city where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth. For in a single hour she has been laid waste. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets. For God has given judgment for you against her. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. The sound of harpists and musicians, of flute players and trumpeters will be heard in you no more. And a craftsman of any craft will be found in you no more. The sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. The light of a lamp will shine in you no more. And the voice of the bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more. For your merchants were the great ones of the earth, and all nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found the blood of the prophets and the saints, and of all who have been slain on the earth. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. If you've been following the series so far, you'll know that this name, Babylon, is code for what elsewhere in the New Testament is described as the world. By the world, it relates to civilization, to culture, to society, to community. Uh, The community of man that has been erected without any reference to God. And the world has produced many great civilizations. Civilizations that have left their mark. The pyramids of Egypt, the Great Wall of China, the music and art of Europe, the great cathedrals of the Christian world, and the various cultures of the world boast about their literature and their art their medical and technological advances, their commercial and industrial successes. There is much to see, much to commend in civilization as we know it, though we also know that the crust of civilization is exceedingly thin. So we Christians can't talk about the world dispassionately. We cannot forget that we ourselves have skin in the game, shall we say. The cotton we wear comes from America, Egypt, and India. The wool in our sweaters comes from the U.S., from China, and Australia, and New Zealand. The wheat that gives us our bread is grown here in the States and also in Russia and the Ukraine and Canada and Poland and France. Our platinum comes from South Africa, our silver from Mexico and Peru. Tin comes from India and Indonesia and China. Titanium from China and Russia. Your car might have been made in Japan, like mine it was. Or in Germany, if you like to show off. (laughs) That's the reality. In other words, Christian people are not disinterested observers of the world's actions and particularly of the world's commercial interests. 
But at our best, as Christians, neither are we taken in by every feature of the world system. We recognize the sweatshops, the sex slave trade, secular humanism, the incipient racism, fascism, Marxism, secularism, and other philosophies that diminish people and yet which command total acceptance and allegiance that puts us at risk as we seek to be sincere in giving our primary allegiance to King Jesus. Christians, in other words, are in the world. That's why you've got clothes on. That's why we have this lovely building that's been recently decorated. That's why many of us came by car today. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. Though the greatest temptation we face is to forget that. And so God reminds us. Occasionally the supply chain gets disrupted. Crops are devastated, creating shortages. War, famine, strikes disturb the even flow of our lives. These interruptions are reminders to the church of the fragility of a system that has been organized by man without reference to the creator and provider of every good thing. At one point in the history of the historical Jerusalem, when she and the people that lived in the fertile lands around it were abandoned by God. They were abandoned by God because they forgot that they were unique and that they were distinct and they were holy for God's use. They forgot that and they began to to suck in the ideas, the philosophies, and the idolatries of the nations round about. God left the temple, then he left the city. And eventually, Ezekiel the prophet is given a vision of the restoration, when the glory that left will come back again, will return with a view to making everything new. Ezekiel writes this in chapter 43, And behold, the glory of the God of Israel was coming, And the earth shone with his glory. Well, that's the background to this great chapter, which is a requiem for the world. And in keeping with that idea of the requiem, we look first of all at the introit. This is how our vision begins. Look at verse 1. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. Henry Sweet notes that so recently has he come from the presence, that is the presence of God, that in passing he kind of flings a broad belt of light over and around the whole earth. This light reminds us of the God of glory that we heard earlier from Ezekiel, the glory of the God of Israel that came back to Jerusalem that arrived at the incarnation when the light that is the Word made flesh shone in the darkness of this fallen world with the glory of the Father. The angels in Revelation regularly convey something about Jesus. 
as they appear on the scene. And here we are reminded that Jesus is the light of the world who comes to flood the gloom and the doom with his glory. Now, this angel here does not come to gloat. Rather, he comes to announce the triumph of God's purposes in the final redemption of God's city, which isn't Babylon, but the heavenly Jerusalem, while it's on earth, the church, the bride of Christ. Now, what does this mean for the world system? As well as delivering goods and services, the world system, Babylon, acts as a super spreader of spiritual diseases, of deception and destruction. You look at this description of the mighty voice, the mighty voice. He cries out. He declares the doom of Babylon. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. This mighty voice is the voice we hear in Psalm 29. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of God comes to the world through the ministry of prophets and angels and preachers and teachers and instruments of his words, of his word. This word of God, this voice of God predicts, anticipates, and even precipitates the actions of judgment on a fallen world order. This angel, this one angel, is far more glorious, far more powerful than the whole world's commercial, industrial, cultural, political complex. And he's come to announce the fall of the world system. As Sodom fell, Tyre fell, Babylon fell, Rome fell, so the world system will fall. You remember there was a time in the story of historic Babylon, not the figurative Babylon we live in, but the historic Babylon, when God came one night and his finger wrote over historical Babylon these words, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. It doesn't matter what form Babylon takes. In the figurative sense, it may take the form of a dictatorship, of a democracy, of a socialist or capitalist economy, approach to the economy. But in the end, in the end, none of that gives them power permanently. Look at what it says in verse 20. The fall of Babylon will cause heaven to rejoice. Rejoice over her, O heaven. And you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. Now the whole story of the career of God's people in this world, it has been God's people and the world. It was Israel and the nations. Now it is the church and the world system, Babylon. 
And at the end of history, God will give judgment for you, church, over against her. That's the, that's the, the judgment. Prophet Isaiah was given to anticipate the fall of historic Babylon when he wrote, Fallen, fallen is Babylon, and all the carved images of her gods he has shattered to the ground. Babylon would fall. The prophets predicted that Jerusalem would fall. And Jerusalem would fall to Babylon for the same reason that Babylon would fall to Persia. And Persia would fall to Greece. And Greece would fall to Rome. And our present Babylon will fall before the kingdom of God. Look what it says about her in this introit. She has become a dwelling place for demons. In a sense, in a scene of utter devastation, she is at the mercy of the demons. You see, the world system we live in is not simply what you see or, or what deal you make or uh, how much money you earn from her, how successful you are in it. The world system is never spiritually neutral, never spiritually neutral, however much we might want it to be. We might want to say capitalism is spiritually neutral. Other people might want to say communism or socialism or Marxism is spiritually neutral. But no, no, nothing that this world produces is ultimately spiritually neutral. Though there will be people like the prophetess in Thyatira who led people in that church to compromise with the pagan idolatry around them. It's all too easy to be seduced by the world system in all its religious forms. Look what it says in verses 2 and 3, that the nations, all the nations, have drunk from her. What seduces nations? It's, look at what it says here. What have they drunk? They've drunk from all the luxurious living. They've drunk from the hubris, the luxuries, the iniquities that the world has to offer. The introit. And then secondly in our requiem, the sanctus. Sanctus is a reminder that the God who is speaking here, speaking to us, is a holy God. Holy, holy, holy Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of your glory. We've heard that threefold holy elsewhere in the book of Revelation when John is given a vision of the heavenly court. He hears the creatures singing endlessly, day and night, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. The sanctus is a reminder to us that the God with whom we have to do is a holy God and therefore that we, his people, are a holy people set apart for him exclusively. And so it's this holy God's voice we hear in verse 4, this voice from heaven that says, come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. When Isaiah said to the people of Israel, go out from Babylon, and when Jeremiah said, come out of her, my people, they were addressing Jews and urging Jews to make good their escape before Babylon fell, before the invader. But here, 
The very same language is used for moral separation. Not physically remove yourself. You can't do that. You have to go home and put on the heat, and you have to drive your car, and you have to do your job, and you have to earn money for your food. You have to go on living in the world. The separation that the Bible speaks about in the Christian sense is not that kind of separation of somehow or other being able to take yourself away from the world. Sometimes in some cultures at some moments in history, that has been what the church has had to do. The whole monastic movement was an attempt, really, to bring purity to the church. But today, that's not the way. So, that's how Paul uses it in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. He appeals to the compromised members of the church to break their dependency. There's the key. Their dependency upon the world and their compromises with the world. He says, go out from her, from their midst, and be separate from them, says the Lord. And I will welcome you, and you shall become sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. The devil is a murderer. That's why there's murder in our violence in our streets, violence in our homes. He's a murderer, he's a deceiver. Which is why people are more likely to believe a lie than they are to believe the truth. Here is the divine verdict on the world. Her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. What sins are they? Well, surely the commercialization and exploitation of sex, abortion, The use of the word luxury here refers to the glorification of luxury by which standard people measure themselves against one another. There's a strongly economic element here which echoes the Old Testament because she offers you economic security. But in exchange, she wants your allegiance. She wants you to love her. She wants you to want her. She wants you to want more of what she has to offer. Hence, it becomes idolatry. In verse 6, we see the ministers of divine justice who are addressed here. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others and repay double for her deeds. This is not talking about vengeance here. This is not private vengeance. This is public justice. God is the God who says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. This is justice. In verse 7, we see the arrogance of Babylon in the world. I sit as a queen, she boasts, in in her heart, says the prophet. She's surrounded by fawning sycophants. All the nations, verse 3, the kings of the earth, the merchants of the earth. No human community and no political entity is uninfected, uninfected with the taint of Babylon. The corruption runs deep. And God is holy, the sanctus. And then thirdly, the dies irae. 
PSA remains the day of wrath. And we hear it as we listen to the laments of those who will fall. First, there are the kings of the earth. That's the important people. People you see always on television. They may not be kings. They may not even be presidents or prime ministers. But they're the leaders. They're little coterie of people who have the power and the money and the, and the success and the influence. These are the kings of the earth. And these people of power and influence are Babylon's lovers. And we're told in verse 9, they shall weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. Many, many, many might despise the world system, but they love, it. they love her just the same. In the end, they hate her just because of the power she has. It was her power that made them, you see. It was her power that made them rich and powerful and famous. Her power. She enriched them. She enabled them to live in luxury. And now they stand apart, as it were. They see everything that had given them treasure and pleasure now going up in smoke. Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. They look on with horror because they cannot deny their complicity in her. They cannot hide their relationship with her. They are what they are and who they are by virtue of Babylon's sponsorship. Secondly, there are the merchants, the merchants who weep and mourn for their dead mistress. This group are even more self-interested than the first, because with Babylon's fall, these ones have no market. No one buys their cargo anymore. Just look at the inventory. What an inventory of things we have there in verse 11 and following. Gold and silver and jewels and pearls and fine linen and purple cloth and silk and scarlet cloth and scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, sheep, horses, and chariots. Those were all expensive They're luxury items. Oliver O'Donovan, the uh, theologian and ethicist, uh, puts it like this. "Trade, Trade is a kind of cultural promiscuity by which one power exploits and drains the resources of many others. The tyranny of the beast in chapter 13 was exercised through the market. Do you remember back then? The, the beast, Antichrist. How does he take his power? It is that he decides who buys and sells. He decides who has access and who doesn't. Someone else has put it like this. John is acutely aware that the power of death is exercised not simply through the hard power of military force, but also through the soft power of the market and of culture. Now let's understand this. Human beings trade to stay alive. It's true. But some human beings trade 
to impress others, to maintain their status, to create a niche space for themselves. This impulse operates equally strongly no matter the cultural background. In capitalism and socialism, equally. The Bible does not demonize trade. Let me say that very clearly. The Bible does not demonize trade. But it reminds us over and over and over and over again in the Old Testament and in the New of the danger of making this world ultimate. You cannot serve God and money. You can't do it. That's what Jesus said. You cannot do it. The cycle of production and consumption, like everything else in human culture, can be utilized by demons to become agents of the beast. How bad can it get? Well, read again verse 13. Cattle and sheep and horses and chariots and slaves, that is, human souls or human bodies and souls, human livestock alongside cattle and sheep, human livestock. You see, the world system of commerce serves the common good, but also serves the follies and vices of Babylon. In John's day, Rome sacrificed human lives, forcing them into slavery Uh, to serve the lifestyles of the wealthy and the mighty. Or taking the same group of people and throwing them into the arena, into the amphitheater, to be torn apart by wild beasts for the entertainment of the masses. In other words, human beings were reduced to commodities. And that happens in our society. If the baby you're carrying inhibits your lifestyle, kill it. If there's a market for prepubescent girls, then snatch them in the street, spirit them away, and sell them on. If men, particularly men, need to get their satisfaction watching porn, make sure that they can access it from all their phones and all other devices. Look how this is caught by the language of the lament. All your delicacies and splendors are lost to you, never to be found. In the beginning of that verse, it puts it like this. All you lusted after, all you longed for in your soul, in your soul, You have to examine yourself. What do you want in your soul today? That's why God's people must come out of her. Someone wrote this. uh, Joseph Magina wrote this. The church is on a pilgrimage through time in the course of which it encounters Babylon again and again, always in different forms and guises, but nonetheless always meeting Babylon. 
That means that leaving the world will look different in every concrete situation. I've said earlier, and I started this way, we can't avoid living in the world, but we can avoid being worldly. In the world, but not of the world. If Israel, with all of the blessedness of being taken out of Egypt, with all the promises it was given, with the prophets who came and ministered to them, and all the blessings that Israel enjoyed, if Israel could be unfaithful to her Lord, so can the church. And sometimes the church has been. In the Middle Ages, at least by the time of the Reformation, there was a period in which there was a lot of, there was a lot of, uh, in the church needing to be addressed in terms of wealth and power and, and pomp and circumstance and so forth. Of course, we don't have that today, do we? What brings these mega churches down? Usually money's involved, sex is involved, power is involved. The very same things that were extant in the church at the time of the Reformation are extant in Protestant churches all over America. In world-famous ministries that have collapsed in the last three or four years. Where people in positions of power, the, the, the celebrities are of our evangelical, or the stars in our evangelical sky, as it were, have fallen. And what have they fallen in the whole area of either sex or money? And money in Googles of it. I mean, just, I can't find a word to describe the amounts, the sums that have been implicated. Nobody can deal with that. I'm going to tell you something A minister cannot deal with having a lot of money to keep his soul, to keep his soul. And these churches, mega churches, have have been have grown on the basis of power, concentrated power, with no accountability. I thank God every day that in our Presbyterian system. We have checks and balances and controls, and there's, there's no ability really for somebody to seize the power because of a godly session that would soon put them in their place. I'm grateful for that. Well, thirdly, oh, by the way, the church is our mother even when she looks like Babylon was the line I was going to use. Thirdly, we hear the cry of the suppliers, the traders who actually globally were moving around goods and services, the shipmasters and the seafaring men. And they too mourn their doom, as we saw at the end of that chapter. And then our Jezeri reaches its culmination. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets. Rejoice over her. For one day all of Babylon will be lost. Look at the things that will be lost. 
the harpists, the new musicians, the flute players, the trumpeters, the craftsmen, the sound of the mill, the light of the lamp, the voice of the bridegroom and the bride. No more. No more. All the things that gave delight, all the things that were human and humane, all the things that brought joy, gone. Fading as the worldling's treasure, all his boasted pomp and show. Your merchants were the great ones on the earth, and all nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found the blood of the prophets, of saints, and of all those who had been slain on the earth. Take that last phrase. Everybody who's been slain lives in Babylon. The mark of Cain is on Babylon. But also, the people of God in Babylon are affected. That doesn't mean everybody is martyred here, but it does mean some are deceived by Babylon's wealth and Babylon's power to want that wealth and power for themselves. You see, all of those things listed at the end of this chapter, the music, the craftsmen, the lamps, marriage, all of those things are gifts that God has given in His providence, and He's given them to everybody, the righteous and the unrighteous. He's been indiscriminate in the gifts that He gives to human beings all over the world. But the day is coming when God will take back what He has given. When what, what is made, what He has made, will be unmade. Because God is against Babylon the whore because he is for Jerusalem, the bride, the church. And it will be an extraordinary act of infinite kindness that God would bring this whole great city to an end, and with its end, end the violence and the exploitation and the greed and the ugliness, and bring into being a new thing, a new thing, not on earth, not Babylon striding uh, astride earth, but heavenly Jerusalem coming down out of God from heaven. The bride dressed for her husband, beautiful for situation, the joy of the whole earth, Mount Zion, come to bring peace on earth, to make all things new. An end in which you and I, beloved, will have a part. So let's heed the warning. Don't go down with Babylon. This is a word to you who are not a Christian here this, this morning. This might be going over your head, but let this thought just concern you for a moment. If this is the world system, and this is the end of the world system, as the Bible describes it, and if this comes to pass as we believe it will, God is my witness that today you've heard this. You've heard this. And you've heard the words that God declares, and that is, don't tie your life to Babylon, to this world system. 
tie your life to God in Christ. Reach out to Him, to King Jesus. Acknowledge Him to be Lord and Savior. And be part of the future that God has planned. Father, will you take your word this morning and will you write it in our hearts and as we come to your table, will you etch it in our whole beings, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.